Well, good morning. Welcome again. Glad you are with us today. As you can tell, it's gotten a little warm in here, and we're uh, working on that. We'll get our uh, air conditioners checked out this week and see what we need to do. It was funny, I uh, mentioned last week that I thought we had the uh, temperature, temperature just set perfect. I looked out and I saw uh, three men fanning and three women put their coats on. So I knew we had, I knew we had found that perfect that perfect medium that we need to strive for, and so uh, we'll get that checked out. I was just thinking about this, you know, uh, up until 50 years ago, you know, there really was no air conditioning ever, anywhere, back in the olden days, right? And so uh, uh, we're really blessed to even have this, so let's uh, not let uh, uh, ourselves be distracted, and let's talk about uh, what God wants us to see this morning. Uh, We're continuing on uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, with the gospel advancing. We uh, went through the first third of the book of Acts, the ministry in Jerusalem. And if you missed any of those sermons, you can look back at our website at www.fogkc.com and you can see those. And now we're uh, working through into the center section of the book, uh, which is the uh, uh, Judean Sumerian ministry. And um, uh, today we're going to look at uh, on the road to Damascus. What could possibly happen on the road to Damascus? You know, I was thinking this week about uh, a story that I heard about a, uh, a husband and wife who were uh, not married too long, and, and uh, they got into a little tiff on a Friday night, and uh, they decided that uh, after they argued for a little while, they'd give each other the silent treatment. I don't know if you've ever uh, tried that strategy before, but uh, by the way, that's one of the worst strategies you can possibly ever do in a, in a relationship. But they decided to give each other the uh, a silent treatment. And on Saturday morning, the uh, husband had an 8 o'clock tea time, and he wasn't an early riser, so um, he, he knew his wife was, and she'd be up way earlier than that. Uh, so he left a note on her side of the bed that said, uh, please wake me up at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. He didn't want to give in and actually speak to her, uh, be the first one to break the uh, silence there. So the next morning he woke up about 9.30, freaked out, missed his tea time, really upset. And as he got up out of the bed, he noticed a note on his side of the bed that said, it's 7 o'clock, honey, get up. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the silent treatment doesn't work very well. I wonder uh, sometimes if we... uh, if we are questioning whether God's giving us a silent treatment. Have you ever just really prayed hard about something and feel like God is just giving us the silent treatment? Have you ever really sought uh, some answer to some question and just feel like, God, why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you you guiding me? Why aren't you talking to me? Uh, Why aren't you in some way communicating to me? I, I think we've all probably been through that. Uh, some of us, that can be a, a one-time thing, and, and for some of us, that can be just a really long part of our lives. We feel like maybe God's silent toward us. Well, I want us to kind of think about that uh, uh, thought process today as we look uh, at what happens here on the road to Damascus. Uh, now, this is really uh, told as more of a narrative, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, it's kind of a story. And so instead of going verse by verse like we usually do, I'm going to read these first nine verses in, in uh, Acts chapter 9, and then we're going to just talk about them, because I think there's some principles to pull out of here uh, that I think are really pertinent to us uh, while still hearing what is exactly going on with Saul. And by the way, um, if I uh, accidentally uh, call him Paul, uh, that's just a habit. Uh, Saul is going to be renamed Paul a little bit later. That's not happened yet. Uh, but Saul and Paul are the same guy. So if I, if I switch back and forth without realizing I'm doing it, uh, don't get f- confused. 
They're the same guy, okay? So let's read uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll talk about it. Here's what it says. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if any he found any belonging to the way, which is what the Christians were called at the time, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now we're going to stop there today, and Pastor Derek is going to kind of complete the story next week with what happens to Saul uh, after he gets into the city. But I want us to see some principles here that I think uh, will really grab us. The first one is this. Saul heard God while he was trying to follow God, yet terribly wrong. Now let me explain what I mean by that. You know, we see uh, Saul sometimes as this really bad guy. This guy is just evil and hateful, and he's, he's persecuting the way, which was the church and, and, and what they called him at the time. And, and he's, he's taking Christians to jail, and some of them are being executed and martyred for their faith. And he's, he's just the leader of all this persecution and all this bad stuff. He's just a really bad guy. But let's stop and think of through this a minute. This guy was a really committed uh, a Jew. He was committed to the one true faith at the time, before Jesus. He was very uh, zealous and committed. He loved God. He loved God's ways. He loved uh, Judaism. He, he, he saw Christianity as these uh, interlopers. Remember, we've, we've seen earlier in Acts uh, several false prophets that have come through. And he thought Jesus was just another one. So he was defending his faith. I, I want you to see that Saul, his motives were actually very pure and very right. So he wasn't bad to the core in the sense that he was trying to do the wrong thing. He thought he was doing the right thing, but he was way off. Wow, he was way off. He was so far off. He couldn't possibly uh, be anywhere close to the truth here. He was doing the absolute wrong thing with all the right motive. And the reason I want you to see that is because I think it's important not to see Saul as this guy who hated God and, and hated everything about God. He was attempting and trying to serve God and, and please God and be obedient to God because that's when God speaks to him. You see, I think that God speaks to us mostly when we are attempting to serve him, not attempting to be rebellious towards him. And so... Part of, part of Saul's being able to hear God, uh, well, you know, mostly it's just that God wants him to hear him. Uh, but, but Saul was attempting to do the right thing, even though he was way off, and we'll talk about that here a little more in a minute. Second thing I want you to see is this. God's voice caused Saul to change direction. 
this is really important. Saul was going one way in life, persecuting the church, uh, 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 killing them, putting them in prison, trying to stop the efforts of Christianity, trying to stop everything that they were doing. And the moment he met Jesus, everything in his life changed. I mean, everything. He went the opposite direction. Now he was trying to grow the church. We're going to see him become one of the greatest missionaries of all time, if not the greatest missionary of all time. Everything in his life totally and completely went the opposite direction after encounter and an encounter with Jesus. Folks, that's what needs to happen to us. When we have a true encounter with Jesus, when we really move from death to life, when we really go from far away from God to close to God, everything in our life should change. Now, from Saul, he knew his life was over as he knew it. The people that he uh, used to call friends were now those who would seek to kill him. The ones that he was persecuting and trying to kill would now be his brothers and sisters. I would say Saul lost probably every friend he ever had when he encountered Jesus. We see that Saul's life was a drastic change. And folks, I want to challenge our thinking a minute. I don't think that the reason the folks out in our community who are far from God, I don't think that Uh, uh, the only reason uh, they don't come in here and see what's going on is because they have no consideration for things spiritual. They have no interest in God. I think it might be because they don't see much change in us. I don't want to bore you with a bunch of statistics, but uh, if you're familiar with George Barna, he does uh, all these statistical things all the time about the church. And what you see is that immorality inside the church is as high as it is outside the church. Those addicted to pornography inside the church is as bad as it is outside the church. Those who are uh, uh, in adultery inside the church are as high as those outside the church. The statistics are the same. Why is that? It's not because those out there have gotten so much more godly. It's because we have let ourselves become so much more worldly. Folks, I want us to think back to the time when we gave our lives to Jesus. Has everything changed? You know, don't be silly. Don't get goofy on me, okay? You don't have to throw away all your old socks that you used to wear and now get all new socks. But the way we think, the way we approach things, the way we deal with people, the way we deal with our family, all of that should be different. And for Saul, it was because he had a true encounter with Jesus. Next, I want you to see that God reveals our sin in spite of our sincerity. You know, we live in a culture that says, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're really sincere about it. As long as you really, really believe it. That's all that matters. Hogwash. Okay? Reality is still reality. And when Saul realized what he was doing was persecuting Jesus, he changed. Even though he was, 
he was doing it with all the right motive, remember? But he was, and it's interesting what Jesus said. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the way? Or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my followers? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Wow. I got his attention. And in that moment, even though he had been sincere in his persecution, he realized, I'm just sincerely wrong. I've just been sincerely sinful in this, and I'm going to turn away from it. Now, folks, we are living in a world that is getting more and more uh, uh, separated from reality. But it doesn't matter how sincere you are. If you say, I'm going to travel uh, south and get to the North Pole, it doesn't matter how much you believe that. You can't do that. I know some of you cerebral people are thinking, well, wait a minute, if you continue to go south and you pass the South Pole, then you get... No, because when you stand on the South Pole, the next step you take is north. You cannot travel south and get to the North Pole. It doesn't matter how much you believe it, how sincere you are, how much faith you have in it. It's just simply wrong. Now, folks, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. That's reality. So it doesn't matter how sincere or kind a committed Muslim is. They're separated from God because they don't know Christ as their Savior. It doesn't matter how sincere or, or, or faithful uh, somebody is to the uh, teachings and beliefs of Confucius. If that's the way they want to connect, to God, they're disconnected from God. Now, you know, sometimes I, uh, I, I make decisions about what I am going to say and what I'm not going to say before I get up here, and then God just changes things. <laughs> you know, but we're living in a culture that's allowing people to define reality. Okay, all this stuff going on with Bruce Jenner. Now, God help him, but that guy is not in touch with reality. Folks, we, there are just some things that are real and right and true. And we need to stand for those things. And when we find out that we are sincerely wrong, we should change our minds. When we open this book, which is the definer of right and wrong, and we say, well, wait a minute, I don't believe that, I don't agree with that, we're simply wrong, and we need to change the way we think. This book decides, we don't decide. Folks, if we get to the place where in our little worlds, and by the way, your kids are being taught this in most public schools, maybe not all, but in most public schools, they're taught that they can define reality. If two plus two is five for them, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. There is truth and right in the world, and we need to defend that. But as the moment that Saul realized in all of his right motives, he was doing the wrong thing, he turned and he went the other way. And so, folks, we need to be careful that our faith isn't in our faith. You know what I'm saying? Our faith doesn't become about, well, I, I believe it so strongly. It's not, it's not how much faith you have. In fact, the Bible says if you've got the faith the size, of a, the size of a mustard seed, that's enough. It's not the amount of faith you have. It's what is the object of your faith. If, you're, if the object of your faith is in anything other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to pay for our sins, 
that he died. He, he, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he resurrected three days later in payment for our sins. If your faith is in anything other than that, you are as uh, completely uh, far away from God as any person has ever been. And so it's important for us to understand that when God reveals our sin, uh, despite our sincerity on how we think we've been right, we need to change our thinking like Saul did. The next thing I want you to see is that God's voice comes in a recognizable way. And I think this is really interesting, and, and, and it's not in this particular passage, but in Acts 26, uh, uh, we see uh, Saul talking about this experience, and he talks about how God spoke to him in his native tongue, in the tongue uh, that his mother taught him. It was Aramaic. Now, knowing that Saul was a very educated man and, and seeing his credentials, we know for sure that he at least knew four languages, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. He knew those four languages very well. And yet God spoke to him in his first language. He spoke to him in the language that he knew best. He spoke to him in a way that he could understand. Look, folks, God is not up there in the sky saying, I wonder how elusive I can possibly be so that they never really connect with me. He's not doing that. I mean, that's goofy. I mean, we kind of think that way sometimes, don't we? That's not his motive. He wants to connect with us. I mean, he's gone to a lot of trouble to connect with us. And he wants to have uh, communication with us. And so God will speak to us in a recognizable way. As we've talked before, I think part of the reason is not because God's not speaking in a way that we can understand, it's because we're not listening very well. I'm reminded of a story about a, a little boy back when they used to uh, 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 make ice uh, before refrigeration. Uh, I know some of you probably have never even read about this in history books, but uh, before uh, refrigeration, uh, they actually made ice, and they would cut it into these big squares, about one foot, one and a half foot squares, and um, there'd be an ice truck that would go down uh, through your home or through your uh, neighborhood and actually deliver ice. And what they would do is they would, they would make kind of like a, that's kind of hard to explain, but kind of like a wooden bathtub or a wooden pool, and they would fill it with ice up to about a foot, and then the, after it froze, they'd do this in the wintertime, and after it froze, uh, they would cut it in big squares, and they'd put it into an ice house, and uh, they'd cover it with sawdust, and, and most, most of the time, this would last, you know, kind of up through the summer, July, August. And uh, one time they were making ice and this man uh, lost his watch somewhere in the process of making ice. And of course he didn't know if it was in one of the big cubes of ice or if it was in all the sawdust on the floor, where it, where it, ha- where it was, what happened to it. And there was a little boy there and he said, I'll find your watch. He said, how are you going to find my watch? We've looked everywhere for it. He goes, I'll find it. And he asked all the adults to leave the, uh, the ice house. A few minutes passed by and he came out and he said, I've got your watch. And they were, like, they were astounded. They said, how did you find that watch? How did you find it? He said, well, after all of you got out of there and quit talking about it, I laid down on the ground, and I put my ear on the ground, and I could hear the watch ticking. And I moved to where it was as it got louder, and I found the watch. Folks, I think sometimes we don't hear God very well because we're so busy talking about it or debating it or we're busy with everything else that we just don't get alone and get quiet. I'm learning this more and more. Just get alone and quiet and say, God, I'm here to hear from you. Speak to me. And I'm not talking about an audible voice like, like Saul heard here. 
Uh, but I'm just saying, I, I'm learning more and more that me running to my next appointment saying, hey, God, tell me something while I'm on my way over here. Hey, hey God, tell me something while I'm doing this. Hey, God, tell me. Oh, hey, God, speak to me because I don't have much time. I, I just don't hear very well. And I don't, think cause it, I don't think it's because he's not talking. I just think it's because I'm too busy to hear. But God's voice will come in a recognizable way because he wants to speak to us. Now I want us to see one other thing in this passage before we get to our uh, uh, application I want us to see one more thing because I think it's important as we uh, uh, realize that the book of Acts is setting up uh, the system of the local church. We're going from Jesus having this personal and individual ministry uh, with these 12 men and then 120 and then the masses. And we're moving from that model uh, to, if you remember the book of Acts, starting out with Jesus saying, this is the continuation of my work. And so, uh, as Jesus is still the head, the local church is the body of Christ. Uh, This book of Acts is showing us how to set up the church and and how the church should operate. And so I want you to see this one thing, and that's this. Saul's experience with Jesus confirmed his apostleship. It confirmed his apostleship. Now, I'm going to want you to see in these verses that we're going to take a look at, that one of the prerequisites to being an apostle is to have an actual encounter with the risen Christ. Okay? And that's why uh, we don't have any apostles in our church. Uh, We don't have any apostles, you know, we don't have like, you know, apostles over ten churches or those kind of things. Uh, In fact, uh, we believe that apostles no longer exist in the church and we'll want you to see why that is. Okay, if you remember Acts uh, chapter 1, Uh, verses 15 through 17, and 20b through 26. We're not going to read all those, but I want you to see here, this is the replacement for Judas, okay? Uh, There are only 13 apostles. Uh, The original 11 minus Judas, or the original 12 minus Judas, which leaves the 11. Matthias, who's his replacement, those 12. And then Paul, Saul, both, (laughs) okay? Counting as one. So let's look at Acts chapter 1, if you remember what happened there. Uh, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And so you see here that in Acts chapter 1, Judas is replaced, and there are now twelve apostles. But how does Saul become an apostle? Why does he get to be added on and nobody else? Well, let's take a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2. He says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Who can say that? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship 
in the Lord. And so here uh, Saul uses his interaction that we're looking at here, this uh, uh, interaction on the road to Damascus, uh, he's using that as a, a confirmation of his apostleship. And in uh, chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And here he's saying, while I am an apostle, I really am not worthy of being called one because of my persecution of the church. But he's saying, I was kind of born out of my time. I should have been one of the original 12 apostles or, or with those guys. There should have been 13 apostles, maybe. I don't know exactly what he's saying here. What he's saying is, I was born out of my time. I felt that way a few times, you know. Uh, uh, felt like I should have been born earlier because of the music and the styles. And, you know, have you ever found that? You just feel like you're kind of out of your time. Or if the 80s could have lasted five decades, that would have been fine too. Uh, either one of those things. Uh, but what we see here, what Saul is saying is, what he's saying is, look, I was born out of my time, but I am an apostle because the Lord has appeared to me in bodily resurrected form. I saw Jesus himself. This confirmed his apostleship. And this, we don't see this ever happening anywhere else in the New Testament. And the only times that the word apostle is used uh, for any other person in the New Testament is when uh, uh, Saul or Paul then is working with somebody and they call them kind of apostles together. So they're working together with an apostle, one of the 13. Uh, they'll, instead of saying, well, he was an apostle, but he wasn't. He was an apostle, but he was, They'll say these guys and their apostleship because this apostle was leading this apostolic ministry. Now today, uh, there are churches and denominations that use the term apostle for uh, maybe a, a district manager who manages 10 pastors. That's not the office of apostle in the New Testament. Uh, some will use the term apostle for church planters uh, because uh, we as church planters uh, do some of the things that are consistent with apostles, uh, like starting new works. But we are not apostles. Okay? There are no apostles in the New Testament church today. And, and when we see that uh, passage in Ephesians that God has given uh, first apostles, then prophets, uh, then pastors and teachers, uh, evangelists and then pastors and teachers. Um, what we see there is that apostles and prophets are no longer on the scene, but they have left their ministry with us right here. This is the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the pastors, teachers, and the evangelists build on what the prophets and apostles built and wrote. So I want you to understand that. It's a little bit off the subject here, but it's important that we see that this is the experience that confirms and gives a stamp of approval to Paul's apostleship. Now let's talk about some application takeaways. Because I always want us to look at these, uh, uh, these passages and understand that God is speaking to us. First thing I want you to understand today is we should serve God faithfully so that we are best positioned to hear from him. You know, one of the reasons we should serve God is just because we love him. And we appreciate what he's done for us. But a byproduct of that is we hear him better. And I've got to be really honest with you. I haven't studied this out. I haven't looked at all the passages that talk about God speaking to us or being hard to hear from God uh, uh, all at one time together. And I need to do that. But here's what I know from my own experience, from the experience of others, and from examples in the, in the uh, uh, scriptures. When we, uh, when we hear from God and we say, no thanks God, I'm going to do my own thing. No thanks God, I'm going to do my own thing. I hear again, no thanks God, I'm going to do my own thing. 
What happens is God's voice gets softer and softer and softer and softer. And we get to a place where we feel like God is just giving us the silent treatment. But I've also seen the opposite is true. When we hear from God and we say, yes, Lord, we hear from God, yes, Lord, we hear from God, yes, Lord, and we are obedient to what he says, his voice becomes louder and louder and louder and more distinctive all the time. The scriptures say that his sheep know his voice. His sheep know his voice. Doesn't mean everybody knows his voice. That means that those who are following him, those who are being good sheep, that are following their master, those are the ones that hear. So how do we hear from God? Very quickly. First, through his word. The very, very, very best way to hear from God is by reading, uh, reading and studying and spending time and meditating on God's word. Your ability to hear from God is directly proportional to the time and energy and effort you spend in this book. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So if you want to hear from God more, if you want to hear from God louder, read it, study it, meditate on it more. And I promise you, God will speak to you through his word. He didn't write that so it can sit on our coffee tables and collect dust. He wrote it so that it would revolutionize the way we live and so that we could know him, how, it would show us how we could know him and have a relationship with him. He also speaks to us through his spirit. Of course, those who have given their lives to Christ, those who have crossed the line of faith and given their lives to Christ and said, I put my faith and trust in what you did on the cross to pay for my sins, the Spirit of God now resides in us, and he speaks to us. This is far greater than that human conscience of right and wrong that we have. This is the actual voice of God speaking to our hearts. But let me just remind you, that will never, ever, under any circumstances, contradict this book. I've had people come to me and say, you know, God is leading me to leave my wife because she won't come to church enough and she won't support me in ministry. No, he didn't. I look him square in the eye and I say, no, he, no, he didn't. Well, you, God told me. I, no, he didn't. <laughs> nope. Sorry. Okay, so let's always be, be sure that as we, we believe we're hearing from God that it doesn't contradict his word. We also see God speaking to us through the church, through the church. You know, many times uh, uh, people will say to me after uh, a Sunday morning service or they'll say later in the week or they'll send me an email, say, wow, Sunday morning was just what I needed to hear. Thank you, thank you. Listen, that's just not, that's not me. That's just God wanting to speak to you. I'm not going through your trash or trying to figure out what to preach to you guys or asking your neighbors about you so I know what to preach, okay? And in the book of Acts, I'm just going through, you know, chapter by chapter. God's directing all of that. But isn't it, isn't it interesting that he has this ability to bring us and perk our ears up when he wants to speak to us? But it's not just through the preaching of the word, folks, but it's through the body of Christ, being the body of Christ to one another, you know, when you get into a, a, a situation in life and you need, some, uh, you need some good advice and you need to know what to do, and listen, don't go to work and ask your friends who are far from God what you should do. Why would you do that? 
how are they going to know what's the right, what the right thing is to do? Come here. Talk to your, your, your friends who you know are committed to Christ. Talk to your pastors. Uh, talk to your community group leaders. Bring it up in your community group and ask your, your friends who you know are committed to Christ. Why would we not, if I could have the choice of 10 people who are far from God or 10 people with the Spirit of God in them and I could get one of their advice or the others, why wouldn't I choose the 10 who are connected to God? I mean, doesn't that just make sense? I think it does. And God will speak to us through the church. He also speaks to us through circumstances. Through circumstances. As some of you know, the, the, the company that I work for uh, during the week um, uh, has, has been purchased by an investment company and they've laid off 80% of the people who work for us. And it's been really interesting that a couple of the ladies who have been laid off uh, have come to me and said, Hey, Michael, we wanted to share something with you. They're Christians. They said, It's really cool. How, and they know that I'm a pastor. It goes really cool how I lost my job here and I started looking for this job and I found a job that pays better. I like it more. My boss is nicer. It's closer to my home and I would have never looked for it had I not got laid off. They said, I was comfortable here. I could have stayed with this job, but I would have never sought it out on my own. God just did this thing where I lost my job and I freaked out for a little bit and then I pursued finding a job and I found a better one. And that's just, that's just all God. Listen, God works that way through circumstances sometimes. Now don't, get, now, don't swing the pendulum and get really goofy. And, you know, sometimes you get a flat tire just because you drove through a construction site, not because a bunch of demons are after you, okay? So don't get goofy on all that and see a, a spirit behind everything. But God does work through circumstances sometimes. And it's interesting to watch his hand at work. Now, there are some other ways that God speaks to us, folks. But my point is this. God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us. He wants to communicate with us. If we are not having a relationship with him and we are not having a conversation with him, it's not because he's not speaking. It's because we aren't listening. We do a lot of speaking, but sometimes not much listening. The last thing I want you to see today in the application takeaways is this. When God reveals our sin, we should immediately repent. Now, I'll be the first one to say we don't all do this, and I don't always do this, but I'm trying to get better at it. Remember last week, we ended uh, last week's uh, uh, talk with being anxious to do right, being anxious to be obedient to Christ. And today I want us to end with this. We should just be anxious when God reveals our sin to us, even if we don't know we're sinning. Even if we think we're doing the right thing and we we discover it's not the right thing, as Saul did, we should immediately repent. We should immediately turn 180 degrees and go the other direction. Folks, that's why God speaks to us. He just doesn't want us to just be knowledgeable about being sinful. That's of no benefit to us. He wants us to know so that we can turn and go the other direction. Now, it's safe to say that for most of us, probably all of us, we will never have an experience like Saul did on the road to Damascus. We'll never have a time when God actually appears to us and speaks to us. But I don't want us to think that because of that, we have nothing to learn here. Folks, I think God wants to speak to us really in a... I don't want to say similar way, but he wants to speak to us just as badly. And he wants to do great things through us. 
we just got to get more connected. We, you know, we, we just got to be better listeners. We've got to be better followers. We've got to be more committed to the truth. And we have to really show the change that's 180 degrees like Saul did. I think God wants to use us. As I've prayed and, and, and sought God about our church and about my life and about your lives, I think God wants to use us in a big way to reach out to this community. We're going to get a bunch of opportunities coming up uh, through the 4th of July. We'll have a booth down at the Parkville 4th of July thing. Uh, when Parkville Days comes up, we'll have a booth there. Uh, we're going to be doing um, upward sports again, where we'll have a, a basketball season. And again, that's not a sports ministry. That's an evangelism strategy. Don't ever forget that. It's not a sports ministry. Uh, if a kid learns how to dribble a ball, great. I'm not against it. But that's not what we're about. It's about connecting with families in our community who are far from God so we can share the gospel with them and so they can experience this 180-degree change in their lives when they meet Jesus. We've got a lot of opportunities coming up, and I think God wants to use our church in a big way here in Parkville and around the world. But are we going to be ready to be used? That's the question. That's the question. That's the challenge. I hear the challenge. I wanted you to hear the challenge this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word that guides us and teaches us so many great things. Father, help us uh, to learn to be quiet at times and to just listen, to hear your voice. Father, help us to spend more time in your word. Speak to us through your word. Help us to not just, even just read it and, and check off, I did my quiet time today, but to really spend some quality time reading and, and, and focusing, meditating, asking you to speak to us through it. Father, help us to listen better to your spirit that lives in us for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. Father, help our church to not be afraid uh, to share uh, the truth with each other. Help us to not uh, live in a place where we don't want to talk to anybody about their sin because uh, we don't want to hurt their feelings. Father, help us to be the church. And Father, help us to see your hand at work in the right times through circumstances that are happening around us, through the way that you are moving and, and, and creating situations for us. Father, thank you for the incredible change that we saw in Saul. It's just going to be amazing to see what he does throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And it all started right here with this one, uh, this one experience with your son, Jesus Christ. Father, do great things through us and help us always go back. Help us always go back and say, all of this has been done for one reason and one reason only. Because we had an experience with Jesus that changed us. Father, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who hasn't given their life to you, who hasn't crossed over that line of faith, uh, Father, I pray that they would just uh, mark that box on the back of the car before they leave or talk with someone before they leave or ask some questions before they leave so that we can help them find you. And Father, for those of us who are in this room who have been hearing your voice say either do this 
or stop doing that. Father, help us to just become obedient. Help us to do the right thing for no other reason but that it's the right thing and it pleases you. Father, for those who are here who have been hearing your voice say, uh, get involved more, serve more, love others more, whatever it is, Father, help us to do those things so that we can hear your voice even louder. God, we are so thankful for putting us in this community, this community here called Fellowship of Grace. Lord, help us love one another and really do all the one another's for each other so that the world out there will see there is a difference for being connected to you through your Son, that Jesus does really, really, really make a difference in us. Help it not be something that we contrive, uh, something that we create, but God, something that comes naturally from the inside out as we yield to your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.